languages are, are, are freedom. And uh, instead, nations are borders. Uh, each time you find a border, that means there is exclusion and inclusion. Every time. If you have a border, that means they, are, they can stay inside. The, the others should be outside. Welcome to Migrations, A World on the Move, a series brought to you by Cornell University's Migrations Initiative. I'm Eleanor Painter, ACLS Fellow and Migrations Fellow, and your host for this podcast that seeks to understand our world through the interconnected movements that shape it. This season, we're thinking about crossing, not only the physical crossing of national borders, but also the various forms of encounter and exchange that happen because of those migrations. What do we learn about migration by looking at how language and culture cross borders? How does the focus on historical migrations help us understand the present? Our focus on crossing will take us across many kinds of borders and spaces where migrants are shaping communities and building lives. And several episodes this season will focus on crossing specifically in the Italian context. For these episodes, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Elena Bellina as co-host. Hi, I'm Elena Bellina adjunct professor of Italian at New York University, and I'm very happy and thrilled to be here with Eleanor Painter to start these conversations about crossing. Um, Eleanor and I started to collaborate during the pandemic on Zoom at conferences and events that we put together, so our collaboration predates uh, this this year. But it's still, uh, I guess, amusing to me that we finally met in person for this podcast after all this time at in this very small town in the center of Italy at the National Diary Archives, which you'll hear more about in an upcoming episode. Um, So finally getting to work together in person after so much time on Zoom um, and getting to see these spaces together too, yeah. It was really through conversations with Elena that that we started thinking about crossing as a theme that might carry forward a, a season of episodes about how different kinds of border crossing, the crossing of different kinds of borders, Um, shape people's lives and help us um, understand migration and belonging in new ways. Um, And so we have several episodes coming this season that think about crossing in language as we're doing today, and also thinking about the crossing of memory and time and space in different ways, again, in the context of uh, diverse and changing uh, Italy. And you and I also both cross languages in our own work, and that's something that has shaped our research and our teaching, and is also really, of course, relevant to the to today's episode, which is um, about the relationship between language and borders and movement. And and we met in Italy, not in the U.S. or in New York, since we we're both based in New York State, which was very uh, <laughs> interesting. So crossing, we cross many borders too. <laughs> and it's interesting to look back on that and think about this conversation that we've now had with Amara Lacus and Uba Cristina Lifara, who are talking about um, migration and movement as this creative source and the the life and lives that they've had as a result of their movement across borders and their engagement with different languages. And it was interesting to meet and hear more about their stories as um, Algerian, Italian, American for Amara Lacus or Somali, Italian and now Belgian uh, for Uba Cristina Lifara. So how they move through these different cultures and languages and continents while using not their own language, their native languages, but Italian or other languages. And Uba Cristina Lifara is a writer whose work crosses multiple genres. She's a poet, a novelist, a playwright, a librettist, and an oral performer, and she works extensively also with oral histories. She's Somali-Italian, was born in Italy, and spent her childhood in Mogadishu um, until she had to flee the civil war there in 1991. And she's lived in multiple places since, including returning to Italy, which is where she met Amara Lacus. Her work includes multiple uh, novels and short stories uh, that have also been translated um, into English, for example, Madre Piccola, Little Mother, and Il Comandante del Fiume, The Commander of the River. And a more recent work is the Stazioni della Luna, The Stations of the Moon. 
in a lot of this work, she's telling stories of the Somali civil war and its refugees in Italy. And in doing so, also thinking about thinking critically about Italian history and how it's represented for Italian readers. She also does this by incorporating Somali into her Italian writing. Um, and you'll hear some of that in the reading that she gives in this episode. She's won multiple prizes for her work, including the Lingua Madre National, Liter National Literary Prize in Italy and the Vittorini Prize. She holds a PhD in African Studies from the University of Naples and has held multiple fellowships and residencies. And she currently lives in Brussels um, and joined us from there for this episode. So Mara Lacus is an Italian author, journalist, and anthropologist of Algerian origin who currently lives in New York City with his wife and children. He was born in Algiers uh, in a Berber family and graduated in philosophy from the University of Algiers. But then he um, moved to Italy in the 1990s for political reasons after working as a journalist in Algiers. And in uh, Rome, he encountered Italian and decided to continue to learn and write into these languages at the University of Rome, La Sapienza, where he um, got a PhD in cult cultural anthropology and started to write fictional and academic works in which he mixed uh, Italian culture, African culture, and different languages and cultural, cultural questions about relationship between uh, inner Italian migrations and more recent um, migrations from Africa to Italy. He wrote several books, and uh, he was um, he in Italy and won multiple awards from in different countries. In Italy, he uh, won the Flaiano Prize and the Ricalmere Leonardo Sciascia Prize for Class of Civilizations over an Elevator in Piazza Vittorio, but also the Prix uh, Prix de Libraire Algerien in Algeria in two thousand and eight, and most recently he was long listed for the International Prize for Arabic Fiction in twenty twenty one for his novel The Nightbird. So in this conversation, you'll hear their reflections and you'll also note, notice that they're also quite good friends um, and they've been through this, this turn in Italian, um, this, this, these shifts in Italy is, are something that they've also experienced together um, as friends and as writers. And over the course of the conversation, you'll also hear them read from their work and we'll link uh, to spaces where you can find more of their work and more about their biographies on the show page. Well, the way they told us about how they met in Rome when they were very young, they had just arrived and they used together with other writers in a very specific bookshop in Rome where all these very um, new culture, new wave of culture of first generation Italian was entering uh, mainstream Italian culture and they were all free and, you know, full of enthusiasm. And so they started to, to to open up Italian literature uh, to this new uh, world. It was really something um, that, that had never happened before. I also found it really interesting when uh, when Uba mentions that she thinks that it, that was also such a unique moment that there won't be another generation of writers like that one because of the different essentially the different global issues that brought people together in that particular moment in that particular place. And that's really interesting. And you can see in their conversation or hear in their conversation that what was started in those writing networks in the 80s and 90s in, in Rome and, and that they have expanded also in the 21st century, those have become, again, global networks. So now these are writers who are traveling to share their work, whose work is getting translated, who are engaged with writers who are based in the US and elsewhere in Europe and all over the world. And I think that really speaks also to the power of the stories that they're telling as Italian stories that have this really significant resonance. There, there's a lot of debate in Italy about how to talk about literature by written by migrants or people of African descent who were born and raised in Italy but who don't necessarily um, get treated as Italians um, you know, either because of the citizenship laws or because of of racism and, and xenophobia. And so I think part of what part of what their work is doing also is it's it's important that this work is recognized as Italian literature, but it's also really important, and you hear this in the conversation between the writers, that we don't stop at the boundary of the nation and thinking about what this literature represents or 
or who it represents or what it can mean for readers from all around the world. Thank you, Eleanor. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about uh, being in conversation with you and my my dear friend Amara. Uh, we haven't met each other for a long time, but uh, uh, we we I was lucky enough to be in Rome uh, the first years when he was there as well, and uh, and I think that also my writing has been uh, somehow shaped by this the conversations that we had at that time. And um, so, uh, yeah, my name is Uba uh, Cristina Ali Farah. I'm, uh, um, I was born in Italy and uh, in the early 70s um, uh, of uh, Somali, ma uh, Somali father and Italian mother. Then uh, my father, they were both students at, at the time in Italy. Uh, then uh, they decided, my father decided to go back to his country. So I basically was raised and grew up in Somalia in, uh, in Mogadishu um, until 1991. Uh, so I was at the time, I was almost 18 when I left the country and uh, lived for a year in Hungary and then uh, moved to Italy. First, I, I lived in Verona, which, is, which was my birthplace and also where my mom is from. And then I moved to Rome three years later and I studied in Rome uh, literature. And that's where, uh, uh, that were, were the place where I started also uh, writing and, uh, and thinking about what writing meant for me at the time being, I mean, being also Italian, my mother tongue, although uh, I was, I mean, I grew up in Somalia, my, um, as I often say, um, my, my formal education has been in Italian. So yeah, even though the, the, the everyday language was Somali, um, my technically my mother tongue is Italian. And also, um, even if it is something that we would question now what a mother tongue is, but, um, um, yeah, but I studied mainly in, in Italian. So I'm Amara Lacus. I am um, a bilingual writer in Arabic and Italian. I used to say I Arabize Italian and Italianize Arabic. Uh, I was born three times. I was born the first time in, in, in Algiers in, in 1970. Uh, and at age 25, I, I went to Italy. So I was born the second time. Uh, so I lived in, in Italy for 18 years between Rome and Turin. And in 2014, I was born for the third time when I moved to New York. So I have three lives. This is my, uh, my life. And it's, um, of course, I, I have been dealing with, uh, with identity for my entire life and uh, borders, identity and especially languages. Thank you. And to open our conversation, we would love to hear about when you first met in Italy, because you both arrived in Italy around the same time. You were pretty much the same age. And I mean, how did you meet? How, what happened? <laughs> so how, how did, did we meet? I, mean, I, I remember exactly the first time that I came to, uh, to hear you in a, in a public I mean, event. Uh, how can we summarize it? Because we met different times. Yeah, I think Before we were in the same university, I think. Yes, yeah, I think we met the first time around um, 1998, 1999, probably 1999. And there was a group, a fantastic group uh, called uh, Scritti d'Africa. Uh, I mean, mostly women interested in Africa. And uh, at the time, you were a poet. I remember you, a poet. And uh, we connected uh, immediately. And when I was working uh, in Italian news agency in Trastevere, and, and you, you were living at that time, and uh, there we used to spend a long I mean, time with, especially in the lunchtime for one hour. And uh, I remember Yasmin was, was a baby. Yeah, I remember, I remember. I remember very, very, very well. And we, we had um, a lot of, uh, we shared a lot of events, uh, yeah, talking about our, our, um, our stories. And what language were you using in Rome? I mean, it's, it may sound like a silly question, but 
what was the language you felt comfortable in sharing? Italian, of course. Italian. Our, yeah. writing, <laughs> our writing language, it was our most, I mean, yeah. uh, common language. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Trastevere, scritti d'Africa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And many other places. But it, this, is, this was the first place where we used to meet and discuss also informally about our writing, what writing meant for us. Um, yeah, it was very powerful. Yeah. And you're talking about this moment that is maybe also an important sort of benchmark moment, because since then, writing by Italians of African descent has really grown, I think, in, in, the, in its circulation and, and its recognition in different ways, also being translated more widely. And, you know, we're speaking with you both as Italian writers, but acknowledging, of course, that you work across many different languages. You are, neither of you is joining this this conversation from Italy right now. Um, and you've both talked already about how you've migrated multiple times. So I wonder if you could say something about how you situate yourself in relation to Italy at this point, or how these, um, I guess, both in relation to this, this movement that you were both part of at the, at the beginning, Amara, you mentioned Scritti d'Africa, and and yet, Uba, you've said that you're that you think about yourself as writing from exile, if I heard you correctly. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. Well, maybe I'll ask you to start first. Okay. Yeah. So yes, it was something that I was thinking about um, all the time when since I moved to to Belgium, how my writing changed because especially at the beginning, I mean, it was something new that was happening in Italy. And um, the audience was mainly Italian. So uh, migration, I mean, in the 90s, especially when Amara and I started writing, um, Italy started to be, a, a, I mean, it was the years where Italy started to be a, a, a country where people were immigrants instead of being a, a country of uh, uh, people going away, migrants going away, going to US or other countries. And, um, and so they were realizing that at the time, and um, without um, completely forgetting about their colonial history, the colonial past, for me was very, I mean, shocking at the beginning because uh, people were always asking me why you speak, speak so well Italian and nobody knew anything about the connection with Somalia. Uh, but uh, yeah, but I think that at the time also, because I left in Italy, so I were more connected with the, the society there, um, more committed maybe um, uh, to listen to the, the, the voices. So I was quite uh, interviewing people, using a lot of oral history in my writing. And um, uh, the, I mean, the trigger of, for the, my writing always came for something that was happening around me. Whereas when I left Italy, my kind of, um, a gaze was was a distant gaze from outside, and um, I started working more on archives, reading and uh, looking at Italy from um, a distant point of view. And somehow it was very interesting because I grew up in that way. You, 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 I, if if I can, if you see what I mean, because I was in Somalia, so uh, studying in Italy, uh, knowing things about Italy, but from from a periphery, from a distant, um, from a place that was not Italy, even if the presence of Italy was still there with uh, with the books. And uh, I always, uh, I was always telling this thing at the beginning when I was talking about my writing that uh, because I um, I was I I wasn't. I mean, my language was not changed by the colloquial language in Italy in Italy. The everyday language and also the television. So when I arrived, people were like, uh, sometimes they were very, um, how can I say, surprised because I would use words or um, expressions that you can only read in the books. So, and <laughs> and they were telling me, oh, you you, yeah, we don't use this in the in the, in the spoken language. So so you see, this this is something that. I, I, I had to negotiate at the very beginning. And then now I found myself in the same position, uh, looking at Italy from, from abroad, from a distance. 
I think I think identity is like a puzzle, and uh, you know, puzzle is made um, with with many pieces. So, uh, um, so in my identity, a lot many pieces: uh, Arabic, uh, Kabyle, my mother tongue, um, French, and of course Italian. And in general, in general, we don't have really um, any credit for our identity. Because we we born and we are Muslim, we are Christian, we are um, um, you know we, we we pick language. I mean, there is no effort to have all that. For example, in my case, I don't have uh, I did I didn't make any effort to to learn Kabyle, my mother tongue, Arabic, French. So I was born and I found this is a heritage. However, with Italian, it's completely different. So I started learning Italian at age twenty five when I moved to to Italy. So I, I build this 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 part of my identity with my uh, with my hands with my uh, my with my love. So this is probably the the, the difference, the main difference with uh, with Christina. So um, I uh, this is why I I said before I was born at age twenty five the second time because I was um, I was like a baby in nineteen ninety five. I, I, I started I started uh, learning um, learning Italian from the, the from the, the scratch. So uh, going to school. Uh, so uh, so I'm I'm very proud actually. I'm very very proud for this part of my identity, and I um, I hope that I can um, can transfer this part of identity to my my daughters. This is my. Uh, contribution, you can say. Yeah. Can I add something on what uh, Amara has just said? I think that with Amara is more clear a point that I'm, I make often, that is that the language we write and we decide to write on is a political choice. In, his, in Amara's choice, I mean, in Amara's case, is, is clear. But because I, I've, been, I've been often asked, oh, oh, why you write in Italian? For me, it's obvious. It's my, I mean, it's my main language, the language that I, I know, I, I mean, I, sp I speak better uh, somehow. But uh, I think that it's also um, a political choice. I mean, um, I, I don't know, but in my case, I think also um, being in this position, it's something that it's, it's very curious to think about it because there haven't been a, a literature, um, I mean, comparing, if you compare the, the situ, Ita, Ita, Italian situation with England, UK, or or France, of uh, uh, people coming from ex-colonies uh, writing in Italian uh, from the previous generation, and so um, it's it's a really interesting that happened with my generation. Uh, we are and we are all women. Uh, we are not many writers, but um, it's something that one it's not going to happen anymore. I mean, we will have people um, that, grew, uh, that grew up in Italy, maybe uh, choosing Italian as a, as a language, I mean, uh, of expression, but at the same time, it, um, without having this kind of um, historical, I mean, um, burden in, in a way. So, so this is why also I think that it's a, it's a kind of uh, uh, responsibility or um, a, Yes, there is always a, a choice in, in uh, something that we choose when, uh, when we opt for a language instead of, of uh, another one, yeah. Now you're a celebrated writers translated in many different languages and you write in different languages. So how do you locate yourself right now? I, I have to say it's not my, uh, my business. I, I'm, I mean, I, I have different identities and I have three passports, three citizenships. And sometimes people say I'm Italian, I'm Algerian, American. No, I don't care really. So um, because, because the problem here is about identity is that we, uh, we think about identity in uh, an opposite of diversity. And we forgot that without diversity, there is no identity. Without diversity, there's no identity. If I say I am Algerian, I'm Italian, I'm American, I can say this because there are there are different people 
They are not Algerian. They are not Americans. They are not uh, Italians. If I say I am a man, I can say men because they are women or other genders. So I can say I am adult, I am father, because there are people that are not fathers. This is the, you know, it's like a mirror. So diversity is, is, is a mirror. And uh, as I said before, the best way for us is to expand our identities, to build something new and try to, to be original, to be original with our, with our identities. And uh, it's not easy. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge, but, but I think it's, it's worth it. Yes, I agree with, with Amara. I mean, uh, yes, it, identity is not something that we can classify and we cannot create by opposition. I mean, uh, what we are at the end is the sum of uh, many experiences that we have. I mean, how we build, uh, we, we build our imagery. I mean, our imagery is made by different experiences. I mean, also the same person who lives in the same place and uh, you can have the same experiences will build will, will have a different maybe image imagery because the reaction that you have with the outside world can be always different it doesn't depend on something that it's predetermined and uh, and so on i think that it, it it's it is like when um i mean to, to writers or in general artists uh, people ask uh, what is your ideal audience? I mean, there is not an ideal audience. I mean, the, 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 it's not an ambition, but uh, the aim is to reach um, people uh, to empathy and to be, and I think that, um, I mean, the, 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 the work that, uh, the, 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 that are more powerful are works that are universal, but at the same time, have also something that is very specific and uh, related to this this crazy imagery that uh, that we build and uh, is uh, is flexible and uh, is not uh, predetermined. So yeah, so I mean the ideal audience is uh, is a universal uh, audience. Absolutely, because our main identity is human identity. This is the you know we are humans. And uh, we were born in places by, by coincidence. I was born in Algeria, and I, I didn't ch choose to born in Algeria. Um, this is why I'm, I, I said before about the credit. Uh, we, we don't have really a lot of credit about our identity. So we're born in places that we, don't, uh, we didn't choose, we, the gender we didn't choose. Uh, but with immigration, uh, this is uh, the, the fantastic part, with immigration, we can born again and we can build something new and we can expand our original identity. And of course, with writing, especially in different languages, is a fantastic experience. La stella spica stava per tramontare e si vedeva il pianeta rosso di Marte in cielo, un segno nefasto. Per questo io e Shackland abbiamo deciso di andarcene. Ma non piove da un anno, non una traccia di verde, non una foglia, una fronda, le acace ridotte a carcasse di groviglie grigi. Nei tratti in cui è rimasta, stesa dal vento, l'erba ha preso il colore bianco delle ossa, la terra è di un rosso scuro infuocato che fa strizzare gli occhi. Shaklan marcia teciturna al mio fianco, il fucile in spalla, la lunga tunica e il turbante impolverati. I nostri cavalli si muovono lenti nell'arsura, il manto candido incostato di terra. The speaker star was setting and you could see the red planet Mars in the sky, an inauspicious sign. That's why Shaklan and I decided to leave. It hasn't rained in a year. Not one trace of pain, not a leaf, not a front. The acacia trees reduce it to, the, to gray tangled carcasses. In the stretches where it remains, flattened by the wind, the grass has assumed the white colors of bones. The earth is a dark, fiery red that forces the eyes to squint. A taciturn chaplain uh, marches by my side, rifle on her shoulder, her long tunic and turban are dusty. 
to shift gears just a little bit and turn to a, a, maybe a, a theme, if that's the right word for it, that has come up at maybe more overtly in some ways in, in the work of Uba and, and what you've talked about also in our conversation just now in terms of uh, colonial memory and the, colo- the presence of the colonial past. Um, so I'll pose this to Uba, but I'm also curious uh, how these questions might resonate differently for you, Amara, and your work. And Uba, I wondered if you could speak a little bit to how the relationship between this colonial past, but also in broader terms, um, questions of trauma and violence and language come together in your work and your approaches to to writing. Yeah, so on the one hand, I I thought that also, um, so in Italy, this this conversation is starting right now and uh, it is very present, even though it's, I mean, it's it's in her, um, its first steps, I think, and uh, I always thought that um, Italy somehow, um, but it is a common, I mean, be- uh, belief that uh, was not able also to um, somehow accept um, people from abroad and to recognize them as Italian part of Italy, because um, and and Amara in his work is very clear about it that Italy has hasn't, I mean, in Italy itself there is not. Um, people from the south, from the north, there are so many different languages, different histories, and Italy itself is so diverse. So, uh, but somehow they they were keeping telling themselves that there was this kind of, and the nation also, the story of the, the Italy as a state exists, uh, was, was, I mean, um, Quite recently, and um, and um, and so on. This this romance, this idea that about Italian identity um, was also um, uh, could also rely on this idea that colonies were not there. Italian was not uh, um, uh, um, a colonizer. Were good, and so not accepting uh, uh, black bodies, for instance, or bodies that I don't know they would describe like Italians, but Italians are are so diverse, so it is really a paradox. And um, so I think that dealing with this past could also help to challenge this kind of assumption that um, was is common in Italy. Um, at the same time, um, I also think that uh, it's, it's something, I mean, when, when I talk about, I mean, I, I have also in mind this, the history of Somalia as well, because in those years in the 50s, but also during the period of colonization, we have also what happened in Somalia and the relationship with Italy was something uh, so huge that uh, brought Somalia to the civil war and to, to an instability that is lasting until today. So uh, I think that. I don't want to say that Somali don't have the responsibility of that. Of course, each one of us has a responsibility and we always have the, the possibility of, 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 um, of choosing, of taking a, a position in, in our life. So this was also something very important for me to not, I don't want to take a side in this, in this history. Of course, uh, there are historical responsibilities, but at the same time as human being, I think that we always have the the, the possibility of, of choosing our our way and choosing our way and uh, choosing what it is right for us for our morality and um, and take um, a side in uh, in our I mean um, in our life. You know, last last um, last year I I taught a course at, uh, here at NYU. Um, uh, called Translingual Writing in Italian. And I had the pleasure to invite Christina to talk to my students. We read uh, Little Mother, Madrid Piccola. It's a wonderful book, a really wonderful, wonderful book. The style is a new style because she introduced uh, Somalian in, into Italian. Uh, it's a lot of, it's a poetry and prose together. And the the, the world view uh, the, of the of the of the book is, is, is fantastic because only um, um, writers like Christina can because they are living in in two words in two languages 
can tell the, 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 this kind of, 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 of story about Italian colonialism. It's, it's a taboo. Italian colonialism is a taboo. And uh, uh, I, I, I think that today writers uh, should uh, be like psychologists for their people, for their nations, so we can say nations. So they, um, it's the same thing. I mean, nations are like individuals. In, individuals have go, you know, um, decide to go to, to a psychologist in therapy when they have trouble with their past and their past is, is, um, is stopping them to go forward you know, to, to go, to live in the present and to, to imagine or to hope for the future. So this is the same, the same thing for nations. And Italy today is facing a big problem with, her, with their past. And in my novels, there is always a part of historical part, talking about, uh, for example, dispute over an Italian, uh, uh, dispute over a very Italian piglet. The first chapter, uh, the story takes place in Marseille. Uh, in, in Marseille, the half of, of, of Marseille, uh, people of Marseille today, are, uh, they have Italian origin. And they started immigrating, started going in Marseille in the, in the 20s, in 20s and even before. And they were basically from the north, not the south. They are from Turin and uh, Veneto, etc. And uh, of course, they had a very, they are terrible um, uh, experience of discrimination. Uh, so trying to to tell those stories, uh, it's very important today to reconcile Italians with their memory. And uh, uh, writers like Christina or Ijaba, Shego, they are do doing fantastic work in connecting and reconciling Italians uh, with their past. It's like, you, you, you know, we are psychologists in, in, in somehow. Uh, and we, we try to, you know, to cure traumas. It's not, it's, it's very challenging. It's really, very challenging. But would you like to say something about your work for the UN as a trauma oh. recovery? Because that's very relevant to what has just been said and with Somalia and all of that. Yeah, so I, um, okay, so there is something that happened. Okay, so I've been working for, um, for a project that was called um, Oral History for Peace Building in Somalia. So basically, uh, it was like a training for um, young people living still in Somalia to collect stories and to create, I mean, this kind of conversation about what happened in the past. Uh, and um, because the, the, there hasn't been, I mean, like in South Africa, a reconciliation um, process in a way. So it was a, a tentative through oral history to put different parts of the of the war at the same table and to listen to each other's stories. Um, and it was it has been very interesting for me, especially because I I dealt with uh, a new generation that basically lived um, their whole life. Uh, during an instable, a period of instability, whereas I grew up in Somalia where the political situation was very different. But um, the, the most important thing is that um, this job, um, somehow this task brought me to Mogadishu after 31 years recently. And um, this is something that uh, I'm still, I mean, um, elaborating because it, it has been a very, very, very strong, I mean, uh, an intense um, experience. You can imagine uh, the insecurity of the city and also for me to go back there. Um, in, I was there in February, exactly after 31 years. And Mogadishu is also the, the, the city, the place where my son, my first son was born. Um, and um, and somehow I I I I am not giving you many details about this because I'm still thinking about it. But some something that happened was that I was able to see my house after so many years, and um, it was um, it was very I mean good for me because uh, um, and it is related with the metaphor of identity that. Uh, Amara was mentioning it is about nostalgia. I didn't have and I didn't have a real nostalgia, but 
I was like, I would, I would like to see again that house. I would like to see because when I left, I didn't know that I wasn't going back anymore. And seeing the house was like uh, something very um, relieving for me because new people are living there. It was my house, but it's not my house anymore. So that house now has other stories, other people that are living in. So um, it was somehow something uh, reconciling myself with uh, with this past and uh, which in English you call closure. You no, know, it's I have seen it. It's it's still there, but it's not my house anymore. Uh, it's I. It was. It used to be. And since you're talking about that in terms of the kind of works you do, because you're not just writer, you come from very different backgrounds. I mean, Amara, you come from an anthropologist, I mean, you're an anthropologist by training, right? And uh, and you, Uba, I mean, you've been, right now you work for the UN, you work on different projects, you've been to different um, African countries for different projects with different internships and different grants. Could you talk about how these crossing boundaries is not just in writing and in your personal lives, but also in terms of disciplines, of training, of possibilities? Thank you. It's, it's about borders, and I'm really critical of borders um, because they are artificial. It's really very artificial. And, uh, and this is why I'm, uh, I'm not very enthusiastic about the concept of transnational. You know, today in, in American academia is very, it's fashion, transnational. I don't like this concept because I, I am very critical with the idea of nation and nationalism. And I experienced this because I was born in Algeria into a Berber, Kabir family, and I was born in Algiers. So I lived as a minority. And after Algerian independence, the new state, Algerian independence, so uh, independent state decided to ban my mother tongue. So I speak Berber, Kabil, but I, I, I don't know how, how, how to write it. Uh, but this, this situation didn't push me to hate Arabic. I loved Arabic. I studied Arabic in, in, in school, uh, in how, Quranic school, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm writer in Arabic. And this, um, this experience, helped me a lot to, to, um, to love languages and to understand languages and to try to disconnect languages from nations and nationalisms. So I, all my languages, I, I speak five languages, all my languages, Italian, French, uh, um, Arabic, don't, be, don't belong to Arabs, don't belong to Italians, don't to belong to French, those languages belong, belongs, belong to me. This is my languages. And, uh, and this is the difference between language and nation or citizenship. So if you want to go uh, to visit a country, you have to have a you know, visa or a passport. Or, but if you want to learn a new language, you are completely free. You can, st- you can learn all languages that you, you, you want and you don't need to ask permission so this is about languages. Languages are our freedom. And uh, instead, nations are borders. And when you have border, each time you find a border, that means there, 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 there is exclusion and inclusion. Every time. If you have a border, that means they, are, they can stay inside. Others, uh, uh, the, the, the others should be outside. But this is not about language. There's no borders in languages. I've thought about this too with the way that the transnational frame really centers the nation, even if it's trying to get at something beyond it or some kind of web of relations. But would you, I don't, this doesn't exactly capture what you're saying about language, which is really powerful, but would, would something like the translocal be truer to your experience of this? So thinking about sort of very, very local connections that, that stretch across many different kinds of borders, or is that also too limiting somehow? I think, I, I think that there is, uh, uh, by the way, a huge confusion between patriotism and nationalism. And the best way I found to distinguish between them, patriotism is loving your, 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 your country, and nationalism is hating the country of others. 
nationalism is always, always about hate. I'm talking about Algerian nationalism. I know, I know it very, very well. And I'm so critical with nationalism. And I'm, I, I saw, for experience, writing in Italian, there are people in Italy that are not so happy. They are not happy that I'm, I'm writing in Italian because they believe that this is their language. Uh, if, if we want to have a, a different concept, I prefer transla translingual, mm -hmm. not translingual, not transnational. Uh, because transnational, we are dealing with the same problem, nations, mm -hmm. nations and nations, nationalisms and et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, and then there is a lot of hypocrisy, a lot, lot of hate, a lot of real hate. I, I, I think, yes, and, and it's just the opposite because writing in a language is always an act of love, it's, it's a tribute. I mean, it's, it's a way also, uh, since you, you say also that language, that the first, I mean, um, it's not, it's the language, the first thing why we use a language is, is, is this, I mean, um, uh, thirst for communicating to, to communicate, to get in touch with, uh, with other people, to share stories, to read other stories, to, to have access to a different world than, than us, than, than that, there was, that was given to us from other experiences. So um, it should be seen as, as it is. I mean, uh, learning a language is also, um, you, 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 you are challenging yourself. You, you, go, you, you go out of your comfort zone. As Amara was saying, I was born again because when you start learning a language and believe me, I learned language French when I was 40 and it's a very different age as well than 25 because you, have, you think that you have your assumptions and uh, learning a language and communicating with people in a different language is always, I mean, uh, challenging and uh, questioning yourself and uh, pu uh, putting yourself in a in a discomfort zone somehow and uh, yeah so I I absolutely agree with this this idea. I love a lot the, the concept of crossing. Crossing is a really um, amazing concept because uh, means move, moving you know moving from one place to another. There's an adventure. There's a risks. Now, when we, we, we talk about um, uh, borders, so we have to keep in mind that borders are like cages. And uh, uh, Christina said, um, talked about the comfort zone. So in, in, now we have a, a fantastic metaphor of a bird. A bird is in the cage and is safe. It's safe. It's in cage, it's safe. But what's the... And I mean, it's in comfort zone. What's the price to pay to be inside the cave? Is freedom. So our identity basically are a cage, and we are protected uh, by you know there are bars. Those bars are religion, our language, our citizenship, and the the biggest challenge is to go outside the, the cage. You know, to open the door and to go, and this is risky, it's not easy. This passage from Dispute over a very Italian piglet. Mia madre mi ha sempre parlato un po' in calabrese. Sei rifiutata di seguire le raccomandazioni dell'insegnante sull'importanza di usare esclusivamente l'italiano con i figli. Una volta, dopo l'ennesimo avvertimento, ha risposto alla casa mia, parlo come mi piaccia, parlo come mi pare. Mio padre ripeteva sempre che gli esseri umani hanno lo stesso destino degli alberi, privati delle loro radici muoiono e non c'è una radice più forte della lingua. Credo che avesse ragione. Ogni persona che lascia la propria terra è come un albero trapiantato altrove. Guai a privarlo delle proprie radici. So, in English, my mother has always talked to me uh, a bit in Calabrian. She refused to follow the recommendations of the teachers on the importance of using exclusively Italian with one's children. 
once after the hundredth warning, she answered in dialect, at my house, I speak however I want. My father always used to say that human beings have the same fate as trees, depraved of their roots, they die, and there is no stronger root than language. I think he was right. A person who leaves his own land is like a tree that's transplanted some, somewhere else. It can be fatal to deprive of, of it of its roots. Readings in this episode included from Amara Lacus an excerpt from his 2013 book Contesa per un maialino italianissimo a San Salvario, translated into English in 2014 and out with Europa editions as Dispute over a very Italian piglet. And earlier in the episode, Uba Cristina Alifara read a passage from La Danza dell'Orice, translated in English as Words for Portraits and out with Juxta Press in 2020. Have a look at our episode page for links to these and other works by today's guests and for episodes from our recent seasons too. Thanks for listening to Migrations, A World on the Move, a podcast by Global Cornell's Migrations Global Grand Challenge, a multidisciplinary, multi-species initiative that studies how the movements of people, animals, microbes, resources, ideas, and more shape our world. You can learn more about the initiative at migrations.cornell.edu, where you can also find relevant links from this episode. Follow us on Twitter at CornellMig. This podcast is hosted by Eleanor Painter, ACLS Fellow and Migrations Fellow with the Mario Anaudi Center for International Studies. The episode you've just heard was co-hosted by Elena Bellina, adjunct faculty in Italian at New York University. Our producer is Megan Dement. Much of the podcast was produced at Cornell University on the traditional homelands of the Cayuga Nation, and we recognize Cayuga Nation's sovereignty and the indigenous peoples who have lived and continue to live on this land. Our music is Basically Really by Steve Fawcett. Migrations, A World on the Move is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. 